Reggie Bush is suing the NCAA. Plus, we dive into the world of U.S. gymnastics at a moment with big implications for its future. It's Thursday, August 24th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Reggie Bush won the Heisman Trophy in 2005, then had it taken away for violating NCAA rules. Now he is suing them. Joining me now to discuss is front office sports reporter Amanda Kristovich. Welcome, Amanda. How's it going? All right. So first, give us the backstory here. Why did Reggie Bush lose his Heisman Trophy? Yeah, so... There was an NCAA investigation that took place for several years after his um, Heisman winning season in 2005. And in 2010, they released it and basically said that they had found that he had received, quote unquote, impermissible benefits um, like money or other things from someone who was a family friend at the time, but who was also trying to start a marketing agency. And so you know, theoretically, the allegation was that, well, you know, athletes aren't allowed to sign with marketing agencies while they're still in the NCAA, and he accepted these benefits. And so we're going to just trash USC. We're going to, um, you know, say that Reggie Bush was ineligible during the time that he had this incredible season. So all of his NCAA statistics were erased, and those wins were vacated, which essentially meant that he had to give the Heisman back. Um, and he has never like agreed that the contents of that investigation in and of itself were accurate. Um, there was a lawsuit filed by one of his, um, coaches who was involved in like the investigation and like a federal court found that the investigation by the NCAA was like done very poorly and, um, just like very unsubstantiated, unsubstantiated. Um, but the NCAA has never, you know, reinstated him and therefore the Heisman trust has never been able to give him his trophy back. And then the other thing I'll say is that obviously NIL rules changed in 2021 and allowed athletes to sign with marketing agencies. So the idea was, well, you know, he came out and said, well, even if these allegations were true, um, now it's totally okay for athletes to do what you claim I did that wasn't acceptable. So give me my husband back. And the NCAA said, no, we are not going to do that. Yeah. I mean, just hearing you describe that case, it's, it's less clear cut than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be like, well, he broke the rules and, you know, we, we got to crack down on everyone who breaks the rules. Um, I mean, I, I don't know all the details, obviously. But anyway, so what's this lawsuit about? And you see, yeah, wh- wh- where are we right now? Yeah, so the lawsuit, um, it's its kind of creative, actually. So um, you can't go in federal court and ask, you know, enforce the Heisman Trust to give you your Heisman back and the NCAA, you know. But what you can do um, is you can take a statement that the NCAA made in 2021, when they basically said, no, we're not going to give Reggie Bush's Heisman back, um, and pick out a phrase that they used saying that he was involved in a pay for play uh, scheme or whatever, right? The entire lawsuit is based on the phrase pay for play, because basically what they were saying is that this statement that went out to outlets all over the country 
um, was plastered everywhere, like essentially made a completely new allegation, which was that Reggie Bush was engaged in pay for play, which is a school or a school's booster paying an athlete to play for their school, which is not what the investigation was about. No one's ever accused him of that, right? So that's what the defamation suit is about. It's saying that this statement that the NCAA made that they didn't retract, that they didn't correct, introduced a completely new and false allegation, Um, you know, and they're asking for damages and just like the basic things that you would in a defamation lawsuit. Um, you know, but it's really not about the lawsuit. What it's about is that, the, you know, there was a press conference today on the roof of the LA Memorial Coliseum and, you know, overlooking the field and like, you know, like Bush is basically using this as, you know, a way to force the NCAA's hand to listen to him, to call him back, to revisit things. And, you know, to he's using it as a platform to clear his name and shed light on the fact that he deserves his Heisman back. And the NCAA is not allowing that to happen. Yeah. Wow. Um, all right. So what happens next? Yeah. So um, obviously, we'll see how far this is litigated. I wouldn't be surprised if the case was settled. Um, I think that, well, not I think, I know the uh, the lawyers talked about also reaching out to the NCAA's committee on infractions and putting in like a formal request to uh, revisit the investigation and look back into it. Um, you know, I imagine there will be more of a PR campaign around this. And I imagine that, you know, the goal of this is not for Reggie Bush to win a lawsuit against the NCAA. It's for him to get his Heisman back. And by proxy, he can also shed light on how unfair the NCAA's infractions process is, because by the way, that's what the complaint is mostly about. And that's very indirect. Winning the lawsuit isn't going to automatically force the NCAA to give him the Heisman back. So I think this is just like using the court of public opinion to like force the NCAA's hand. Yeah. And just having talked to you about this before, I know the NCAA's infraction processes, there's a sort of very public side to it. Um, and that's as, you know, as important as the, um, as, as the internal discipline part. Amanda Krisovich, thanks so much for joining us. Sure. Up next, U.S. gymnastics is at a pivotal moment with Simone Biles returning after pulling out of the Tokyo Olympics due to issues that were perhaps more mental than physical. Gabby Douglas, who you could say preceded Simone as the superstar gymnast that people knew about even if you didn't really know about gymnastics, she's trying to make a comeback. And also Suni Lee, who is the all-around champion at the 2020 Olympics. So we have all three of them at this key event before the Paris Olympics, plus some lingering questions about the state of U.S. gymnastics. I had a great conversation with journalist Ari Saperstein about all this and more, and that's coming up next. I am joined now by Ari Saperstein, host of Blind Landing. Welcome, Ari. Hey, Owen. Excited to be here. Great to have you. So the last time I was truly aware of what was going on in USA Gymnastics, it was basically all about Simone Biles and you know having this Michael Phelps moment of she's clearly the best ever. Is she going to break all the records or just some of the records? You know, how many gold medals will she get? Um, now we're you know a few years from that moment. So first, let's get the status of her, but also where are we with USA Gymnastics right now? Totally. I mean, the big headline is Simone is back. And 
I'm sure everyone listening remembers, but just a little recap here. You know, the last time we saw her was, yeah, at the Tokyo Olympics, and she had to pull out of most of the competition because she got the twisties, which is like the yips in gymnastics when you're, the muscle memory you rely on just kind of disappears. You know, for her, she she literally couldn't twist and she had a really scary vault and said, you know, there's no way I can push through this. Um, and it's interesting you compare it to Michael Phelps because that her Simone pulling out really started this greater conversation about, you know, mental health in the sport and about advocating for yourself, something that Phelps was already doing, something that Naomi Osaka was doing at the time, you know, really tied into the zeitgeist. And that decision led to this, you know, international praise. Uh, she became Time's athlete person of the year, not because of what she did on the floor, but that, you know, speaking up that she did off the floor. Um, and, you know, I think that really we thought maybe this is the end for her. Maybe this is the last chapter, uh, you know, and it was a little sad thinking, you know, this unexpected roadblock could end her career. Um and she didn't say anything for two years about if she would come back or not. No one knew if she was training. No one knew if this was on her radar. She you know, got married. She has been doing uh, you know, a lot of business deals. And then really, out of nowhere, earlier this month, she came back at the beginning of the U.S. Classics. And so, yeah, we've got Simone is coming back. We also, uh, there's another comeback here with Gabby Douglas and also Suni Lee. So this sort of feels like the super team, but also, it also and, you know, is Simone, does Simone still have it? Does Gabby Douglas still have it? Like, is USA still the dominant gymnastics force out there? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. So, you know, Simone came back and at, you know, earlier this month, and I think I think the expectations were as low as they could have been for Simone. You know, if she had had some mistakes, if she had had some falls, I think people would have said, well, this is great to have her back. She literally is better than she has ever been. I think she looks better than she looked at the Olympics. The score that she got at U.S. Classics probably would have won the Olympics. It would have won world championships last year. It will probably be enough to win the Olympics next year. So, you know, she she really does look to be in a different place. Um, Suni Lee, the reigning Olympic all-around champion, is also back. She's dealing with some health issues completely unrelated to gymnastics, kidney issues. And for her, it's really touch and go. She also came back to the elite level of the sport for the first time since the Olympics earlier this month. She also looked like her classic self, but I think that she is proceeding with caution because it's the kind of thing that flares up. Gabby Douglas will remain to be seen. She's not planning to compete this year. She's planning to come back next year. Um, but I would say that with the three of them, what really points to the strength amongst the U.S. women right now is the just amount of other people that are returning. A lot of the Olympic team from last year, from uh, the last uh, games is back. A lot of the world championship teams from the past two years is back. It's definitely skewing older than it ever has before. All of the Olympic frontrunners are in their 20s, which has never been the case. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I'm wondering if we're having, um, if, if we're seeing the effect of people like Simone Biles and Gabby Douglas, who kind of became celebrities through gymnastics, maybe inspiring a next generation. Um, are, are we seeing a stronger pipeline because of, of that? Yeah, I mean, I think what was really striking about the classics earlier this month and what will be interesting for people to watch at U.S. Nationals is the amount of black gymnasts that are competing in 
uh, America right now. You know, when Gabby Douglas won the Olympics in 2012, she was the only black member of the U.S. team. Um, a decade or two ago, there had only really been a handful of black gymnasts that had represented the U.S. at the World Championships or the Olympics. And you look at the junior field right now, the junior field, these are girls who were two or three when Gabby was at the Olympics, six or seven when Simone was at the Olympics, who are in mass, in big numbers. I would say of the 15 main Olympic contenders, about half of them are black. Um, And so there's that representation, but also I think we're just seeing a difference in terms of the artistic side of the sport, you know, uh, it's usually this like Eurocentric balletic moves, very classical music performance. There's people on the floor who are performing to like Megan the Stallion and Lizzo. Someone's floor music was Anaconda by Nicki Minaj, like five, 10 years ago, this never, ever, ever would have happened. Um, and that's a testament to the impact Simone and Gabby have had, but also a changing culture and leadership and dominant presence within the sport in USA Gymnastics. Yeah, gymnastics is in that realm of figure skating, you know, you can throw in something like synchronized swimming. You know, you think of it as kind of this like classical thing where you think of classical music and, you know, maybe someone throws in jazz and mixes it up. But yeah, Megan the Stallion is is not uh not necessarily the first thing you when you you have a greater diversity of people in the sport they are you know hopefully able to also introduce a diversity of representation on the competition floor and it's you know it's really noticeable to see that and i think is really inspiring to the next generation of BIPOC athletes who see not just someone that looks like them but someone who is embracing the culture that they're also mired in so I want to get into the whole world of NIL in a moment, but I need to make a brief um, sobering stop it, uh, with the Larry Nassar scandal. So this rocked the gymnastics world a few years ago. Uh, someone, Miles, among others, was was involved. And is this um, is this in the rearview mirror, or are we still feeling the repercussions and ripples from all that? You know, I, I think uh, I think we are still feeling the ripples and repercussions of that on a few levels. So after the classics a few weeks ago, Simone, uh, as she's been you know, want to do over the past few years, kind of held court on the competition floor, talking to uh, journalists, um, just you know, sitting on the side of the stage, and she said something that she hadn't said before about the Tokyo Olympics, which is that she was feeling a lot of pressure, not from fans, not from the media, not from her own camp, not from herself, but from USA Gymnastics. Feeling pressure, being told that she's the the gold medal token that will seal the deal. You know, I don't know if she was, uh, how, how literally she meant that word choice, but that's also very loaded racially to call her token. Um, she also was talking about USA Gymnastics telling her to like push through being depressed to be like, build morale for the team. And I think that we had thought in 2011, a lot of new leadership had turned over. There was a lot of commitment to the safe sport initiative. I think we thought there was a different culture inside the sport. And I think, you know, what Simone revealed a few weeks ago was no, like back then they were still saying prioritize winning over your well-being, your mental health, over the pressure. And I think that 
they've made even more changes in the past two years. There's now two former gymnasts that are essentially running the U.S. national team. That sounds, you know, like it's going in the right direction, but I think that people are still really skeptical of trusting this organization to make good decisions and to look out for the team. Um, I think there are more safeguards in place to keep athletes safe, which is good. Uh, USA Gymnastics said that they put out a survey to all the people at the elite level to say, you know, how do you feel about the environment? And overwhelmingly people said, you know, I think it's a positive environment. But I think that to some sects of USA Gymnastics, winning is still extremely important. And that's a little unsettling because when winning is the most important thing, that's what creates the environment that fostered Larry Nasser and other people to take advantage of how vulnerable that can be just when anything is greater than athlete safety. So in short, you know, it seems like things are better, but it has been hard to trust USA Gymnastics. And I think we're still keeping an eye on what this really looks like. Yeah. And, you know, at that level, it I can see how in some ways it's tricky to draw the line because of course winning is in some ways the the big priority because these you know you know these athletes are doing things that no one's ever done before in like the history of humans moving their bodies in some sense so like um yeah that takes an incredible commitment an incredible amount of sacrifice and and yeah at what point do you say no I can't sacrifice like this part of myself and obviously Nasser is you know a whole other monstrous situation I don't not putting him exactly. quite in that category. And I think, you know, no one's saying that winning isn't important. It's just, you know, is it the number one priority over making sure athletes are doing okay or, you know, winning at what cost? And I think that that there's reason to think it's trending, right? But there's also reason to not, you know, pat USA Gymnastics on the back too soon. I will say something really strange happened uh, during the competition, which we'll see, you know, what the ripple effects are. The heads of the national team gave a press conference where they didn't seem to know what the rules for qualification were. And the reason that Suni Lee was competing, even though she had this medical situation, is because she had to in order to eventually try to qualify for the world championships this year. They're just the audience. Take this in for a second. There was no pipeline for the reigning Olympic champion to petition later on to get to the world selection camp. She had to come to this competition, had to kind of rush back in, potentially be in a precarious situation. Hopefully she's empowered enough not to endanger her health, but you know, this was a conversation and the USA gymnastics heads were like, no, she didn't need to come here. And someone was also like, yeah, she did. And I think just mismanagement or intra confusion, it's unsettling, you know, you just, and it's not good for the athletes. It's, it, it sounds so minor compared to Larry Nasser, but these are the things that you know, when it's feeding confusion, when we're not seeing athletes prioritize, when we're not seeing messages made clear to athletes, it gives you, you know, a little trepidation to see how are they actually operating. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. You mentioned the athletes um, becoming more empowered. I want to get into the NIL world. So 
now we're seeing kind of a, a new kind of gymnast celebrity. Um, Livy Dunn, I think, is the, the big obvious example here, where she's famous in a different way from Simone Biles or Gabby Douglas. It's not that she won the Olympics. It's that she is a huge social media influencer. Um, so I'm, I'm curious if the gymnast world thinks of her in that same realm in terms of her abilities, but also, you know, more to the point, how um, how our gymnast ability to make money um, outside of the Olympics and the other more traditional path, um, how is that, you know, just affecting this whole ecosystem? Yeah. So, I mean, I think NIL and CAA, Livy Dunn, these things have influenced USA Gymnastics, the elite route, the Olympic route, more than anything else in the past two years. So, you know, for years, we've seen collegiate gymnastics be the reward for elite gymnasts that are kind of retiring from their Olympic attempts as a teenager. They get to go have enjoy a college scholarship, go do easier gymnastics, have fun, compete more as a team than individually. Olymp uh, gymnastics is a very expensive sport. A scholarship is a great way to offset the costs. Obviously, as we all know, you know, before NIL, you couldn't accept endorsement money, which was profoundly unfair to female gymnasts because there is no funded pro league for them to turn to after college. There's a small, small window if they get to the Olympics, if they win the all around to make money off of it. Um, so, you know, when the amateur, uh, amateurism rules changed and people could start profiting off their image, Livy Dunn really ushered in this era of gymnasts now being able to have a high profile second career, not just enjoy the college scholarship and make money at the same time. But, you know, um, Amanda Kristovich wrote about this for front office sports a few months ago, amongst the highest NCAA female athletes are gymnasts. I think it was four or five at the end of last year. Um, so what does money give you? Money gives you the ability to have the resources to commute to train and, you know, pay for your life, pay for coaching, pay for debt that your family's maybe accrued beforehand to just stay in the sport. And I think it also gives them motivation to stay in the sport longer too. You know, these things can kind of feed each other if you're being a savvy business person, as a lot of these gymnasts are. Um, and I think that it's also helping the sport to skew older. It's simultaneously happening with other changes in the sport. It's become more of a muscle power sport in the past 15 years. So we've seen older bodies, older athletes stay in it. You know, it's good timing. But really, the main thing is there is a path to money and a path to competing on a big level that isn't through USA Gymnastics, that isn't about the Olympics. So someone that people aren't going to see at nationals this year is the reigning U.S. national champion, which is really surprising because Connor McLean, the reigning U.S. champion, has decided she's going to go do NCAA this year at LSU with Livy Dunn. Maybe she'll come back next year to the games. Maybe not. She's coming back from some injuries. And it's like, why put your body and mental state through this really grueling version of the sport, elite gymnastics, the Olympic route, when you can start making a lot of money, having a lot of fun, building your platform and setting yourself up for life at NCAA. So when there's another option other than Olympics, other than USA Gymnastics, it starts taking power away from that organization and giving gymnasts autonomy. Yeah. And you know, I'm just trying to like you know, think of the calculations that that someone like Connor McLean or Livy Dunn would be making, and you know, 
ultimately, and, and I don't mean to like be, you know, uh, trivialize this at all. Like their TikTok followers or Instagram followers, that's how they make money. And they can probably make a lot of money with those. And if, you know, uh, participating in high-end competitions isn't really going to move the needle that much, especially if it's competitions that you know a lot of people haven't heard of. Um, you know, maybe they, they just opt not to do that, and you know, it, it probably does help their followers to some degree if they can can win a medal. But maybe if they say, you know, I'm probably you know in the fifth to tenth, you know, I, I'm not a, a top contender here, but you know, I, I can I can just keep doing my my TikTok thing. Um, and make more money than anyone else competing there. I, I'm not saying like that's the end of the story, but you know you can see how there there's a pretty appealing other path. NCAA NCAA used to be the backup for gymnasts who didn't get their Olympic dream, and now it's as enticing because yes, there's the money, but also there's the viewership. I mean, NCAA gymnastics viewership has exploded in the past few years too. And the popularity of it, you know, schools selling out events, um, the viewership on ESPN. So, you know, if you both want to make money and you still want to be doing the thing you love, and there still today isn't a funded pro league, it starts to look pretty enticing. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. Ari Saperstein, thanks so much for joining us on the show. That's it for today. Hit that subscribe button or share the show with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.